Hello everybody, how are you? I assume you know a little bit about these guys. Uh, Liz, firstly, of course, is a well-known producer of Animal Kingdom, amongst many other uh, projects. Uh, Tony, um, directed Jewboy, The Tall Man, and well as uh, some television shows like uh, City Homicide and uh, The Surgeon. And Emil, of course, uh, collected the Best Picture Oscar <laughs> a little while ago for uh, The King's Speech and has also done such films as uh, Candy and Disgrace. Now, obviously, uh, a good way to start would be to ask uh, Tony about when you first discovered the book and what made you think that this has got to be my film. Um, when I first read Dead Europe, it was... Um, I'd never read anything like it. I'd never read a story that was, um, had such scope and such integrity and passion and... Christos is just such a brave writer. Um, but I think, um, I mean, there were a number of things that drew me to the book, but my background is from Europe. I'm second generation. My grandparents on both sides went to South Africa, escaping European persecution in different ways. Um, and what I found really interesting about the book is it had a, Christos was dealing with similar issues, like being a Southern Hemisphere person, looking back to the roots of Europe and just made such a really interesting statement on contemporary Europe. Um, and also about the past of Europe. The idea of that history is not the past, history actually is the present. And how to deal with that on a personal level for the lead character of Isaac, and also how to deal with it, I guess, on a macro level about what is happening in Europe today. Did it immediately strike you as a cinematic story? Completely. It was um, really fortuitous, because I read the book and I've never tried to get the rights to anything before and I spoke to my agent about are the rights to the book available and then I think maybe three or four weeks later Emil called me and he'd seen Jewboy and went I've read this book and I think would you like to talk about it so it was really serendipitous how it started. Ah, so Emil what did you think of the book and made you think that this is going to be a great film? Well, I guess I probably have a similar background to Tony really and coming from South Africa originally being Jewish uh, from Lithuania, and I'd done a, a documentary on a great uncle uh, who, who lived through the war in Lithuania, um, Second World War, and feel very connected to the European heritage. And I guess I was just excited by the breadth of scale of this book. It, it was just about something so meaningful. I think probably now it's even more current and urgent than it was at the time that Christos wrote it, because you know Europe is in such a state of turmoil at the moment. Um, but I wanted to tell a story about how the past is right there underneath the surface. And at any moment, you know, we think we're rational, we think we've got the, the lid on, on the past generations, but the, the, you know, the hand can reach up from below and grab you and pull you back down. And uh, it feels like, you know, I, I spent a few months living in Poland at a time and I remember talking to a guy there, a young guy who was saying he'd been to America and felt that it was just a free, open country that people live in the present there. But in Europe, no matter how much you want to be in the present, the weight of the past is always bearing down on you. And, 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 and that's the, the sense that the book you know, uh, brought for me. And I felt that with Tony, uh, you know, it's going to be an incredibly difficult adaptation. And, and that's when uh, you know, Tony had worked with Lou before, knew Lou. Um, and he can talk a bit more about that. But at least the film was, was, was tackling something pretty substantive. Maybe, uh, Liz, we can ask you at what stage you got involved. Had you read the book already? Uh, and what did you think uh, when you did read it? 
Um, yeah, I, 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 I had read the book, yes. And um, I knew that Tony was doing the film with Emile at that stage and with Louise and Ian. Um, I think the book has such a fantastic scale of ideas. It's like Christos, it took a, I know it took him a long time to write that book and, it, and you feel a kind of his, his ideas changing through the course of the book actually. And I always thought, man, that's an ambitious <laughs> adaptation, frankly, Tone, Emile. Good luck. Um, but then, as it transpired, Emil contacted me and Tony contacted me, um, you know, pretty late into the process. I, don't, I think there were still a couple of drafts to go on the script, but, um, and I came on board to produce it with Emil and Ian, so. But, yeah, I think the fast, I have no um, common background whatsoever with these two. I'm Scottish, and, um, but for me, yeah, the, the, Particularly now, you know, particularly now in Europe and what's happening with people movement throughout the countries coming up from the Middle East and from Northern Africa and, um, you know, and I think it, the film really successfully shows that at a very, very precise point in history at the moment and um, that was really, that, uh, that really excited me. The great uh, Scottish immigration story, of course, is Pixar's Brave, so that's already covered. Uh, now, we've got Deloise Fox with us here, who's the writer of the film, and it'd be a good time to bring her in. Uh, just can you tell us, generally, what the process of writing it was, what you decided to leave out of the book, what you decided to put in, and particularly how you decided to the level of darkness. It's a pretty dark and confronting film. There's a lot of tough stuff in there. How did you decide what you wanted to uh, keep in and what you wanted to present? The, um, some of the decisions were really easy. Um... For those of you who haven't read the book, half of it, chapter by chapter, it's the one chapter is the contemporary story, which was in the film, and then the next chapter was, I think, going back two and almost three generations, Isaac's family story. So very early on, the first decision we made was to get rid of that story, because we just thought the scale of the film would be, it would be too big for one film. Um, and then it was just finding out how to get that past story into the present. How to get the psychology Isaac finds out about his family and the secrets of his past and has a psychological, you know, becomes psychologically unhinged through it. So how to, I guess, let the bones of Europe infect him through the story. And um, Lou had a great, you know, both being Jews, we sort of, she had a great, you know, chicken soup metaphor, which was just about, you know, like, you just keep boiling it down and boiling it down. We were just constantly trying to distill the material as much as possible to make a really clear narrative. Because the book um, has, like I was saying before, has such great scope that it, it's a kind of scope that a novel can do really well, but would be really difficult to do in the film. Louise, can you tell us maybe a bit about how you approached it? And did you have Christos looking over your shoulder? Um, no, I didn't have Christos over my shoulder, but I had a great sense that he was he was emboldening us from the from the word go. He basically said, "It's huge and it's big, and I trust you entirely." And off you go, and you be bold with it, and you do what you like. And I think, you know, we went down some kind of wrong pathway. And I do remember having one conversation with him maybe about three quarters of the way through the process where we brought him in just to chat really, just to talk about where the book had come from for him personally, 
we just felt we needed a little bit of a kind of a Christos shot in the arm and that got us going again. But just to, to add to what Tony was saying, it did feel like a very kind of layered process. It was like we'd often deal with like one issue in a draft. So we'd try and kind of tackle the supernatural aspects of it in a draft and nail it as much as we could. And then we get to the end and go, well, that feels like it's working. Now, how are we going to deal with, you know, the this, this story from the past or how, you know, and questions about how dark is this going to go? It felt like we had kind of, in some ways, had to do it in steps rather than, you know, it was a very difficult book to um, assimilate and boil down in one draft, obviously. So it did feel very much like a process. Like, as soon as we solved one problem, another one would occur. But it was kind of great in some ways to nail individual ones as opposed to feel overwhelmed by the ambition of the novel. I wonder from the point of view of the producers, Emil and Liz, do you say, Tony, do what you've got to do, go as hard as you can, or do you say, well, if you just do a few things here, it'll kind of appeal to someone else or it'll maybe won't be, won't be quite so confronting? How do you approach it? Well, I think the first question is what sort of film are we making? You know, the most important thing when you're developing a film with the producers, the writer, the director, is everybody has to be making the same movie. That's, you know, you get into trouble if you're not. And we knew we were making a film that, that needed to be controversial in a sense because it was trying to, you know, uh, it, it was trying to bring to life the forgotten people. And, uh, and, and, and to do that, uh, you need to be confronting a lot of prejudices that arise today in terms of the Joseph story and, and in the past um, in terms of the Elias story. So um, the, the confrontational nature of it was going to be important for us to be able to treat, achieve what we wanted to do dramatically. So, of course, we were very um, supportive, uh, both in the development stage and, and Liz, who really took over on a lot of the, the, the physical production stage during the shoot, and she could talk more about that process. But, you know, we, we needed to support Tony in being able to achieve that for the film to, um, to work, uh, yeah. to, to try to achieve what it, was, what it was set out to achieve. And I think that it was important that Tony had a signature on the film as the director, that it, it you know, it's a, a film from an adaptation of a very, you know, well-known Australian writer by brilliant screenplay by Lou, and, but it also it had to have that alterial sort of view, viewpoint on it. Um, but it, it, it was a, quite a tricky path in navigating whether, where genre would fit perhaps or where this, the pacing of genre may work and that was that was really interesting even right down to the edit you know the uh, tony one of the fascinating things about the festival competition is that uh, law and dead europe both kind of deal with this issue of inherited guilt that dates back to world war ii how did it happen that that you and kate both came up with these sort of stories that have this resonance and did they sort of feed into each other as you developed them? Well, neither of us came up with the stories. You know, they're both based on books that we were um, really interested in. When I first met Kate, one of the first conversations we had was about history. Um, it was like, I think it's when I, you know, started falling in love with her. It was really, you know, at a friend's house and we were young and chatting about history at a party. Um, Always works on a date. Yeah, yeah, really good for a first date. But they, a lot of those issues we're both really interested in and both studied history at university. And, and like I was saying before, I, I, 
What I really love about history is uh, so many people think it's about the past, and I actually think history is about the present, um, which Christos does, and so did Rachel Seifert in the dark room. How we both came to be doing it, I, I really don't know. I just, you know, I read Dead Europe. I was obsessed with the material. Kate read the dark room, became obsessed with that. Um, and they weren't meant to happen together, you know. It they just, weren't meant to happen together at all. Yeah, <laughs> and it was really tough, them happening together. You know, it was tough trying to balance life and kids. And Liz worked on both films. You know, it was last year was more busy than we expected it to be. Um, so it's, but it also feels really lovely to be able to now be through the films and to have them screening, they have their first screenings together and in our hometown, it's nice. Well, Liz, Liz, how did you balance it? Is it a case that you thought these films complement each other somehow or did you, were you kind of trying to have things that were not in one film or on the other film or did you just have to let I things go? I don't know why I said yes in a way. Um. <laughs> I do remember trying to convince you to do Dead Europe, and I said, you're, 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 going, to be, you're going to be in Europe anyway. You may yeah, as well do the film. Yeah, I know. He did. He did. And in a way, that was true. It was true. I was back and forth in Europe. And, um, you know, both, both of the books I knew well, and, um, of course, both the directors I know very, very well. So there was a symmetry there. Um, it's not something that I would recommend, though, <laughs> doing two films at once in the one family. It's really hard. <laughs> there are some tough lines in there and one of the things that I thought and I was watching it, as a Jewish director and a, a Jewish producer, there's some pretty tough lines about being Jewish in there, some really confronting things. I wondered how you felt about that being said, those things being said on, on screen. It's really uncomfortable hearing those things being said. Um, but it's the... It's, um, yeah, it's, but it's the reality of what we deal with. There's hatred all around us, and I just find it so astounding. You know, it's... I don't know, I grew up under the apartheid system, you know, like, hatred was enshrined in the Constitution. Um, we were at the Marble Bar last night, just for a drink before the screening, and we were sitting there, it was about, I don't know, five o'clock in the afternoon, and the guy started excuse my language, but just started swearing that, you know, just this anti-Semitic vitriol was just pouring out of him. So it's a reality, and what attracted me, and what Christos was doing in the book was, it's the flip side of, you know, he's exploring anti-Semitism from a non-Jewish perspective. So I think Isaac, as a character who thinks he's a rationalist and thinks he's a humanist, is really confronted and has to look deep within himself and his own history and find out, you know, and he gets to a stage in that hotel room when he wants, he takes the role of his father and almost this idea of when people get into a tight spot of scapegoating, you know, and there, there are lines in the film that, you know, like his brother goes, I wish there wasn't one Jew on this earth. It's this idea that sometimes people have with Israel, for example, that it's, it's blown into, like the anti-Semite takes one Jew and extrapolates to all Jews, like the guy did in the marble bar last night. Um, and that's something that sometimes, you know, it's the particular tenets of anti-Semitism sometimes. But this film also deals with hatred in itself. And, you know, we worked with Romani gypsies in the film and other refugees and... Um, the problems Turks have in Germany or 
the problems people of African descent have in France. Um, just Isaac's particular story was anti-Semitism. And I think, of course, it, it is hard to explore issues and themes of, of prejudice or anti-Semitism without, without actually showing it on screen. So it was something that was needed in order to you know, get the, the aims of the film across. We've got uh, you and Leslie here in the, the front row who did such a fantastic job. Maybe you could tell us about casting. You, you work with Ewan on Jewboy. Tell us about the process of... I mean, was he the obvious candidate or did you look at other people? Just close your ears for a second. Yeah. He was always in the... We became good mates after Jewboy. And um, he was always in the back of my mind, like, hoping... You know, he was able to become Jewish and just to see if he could find his inner Greek. Um, but he came in, and the first casting he came in for, he just gave 110%. And this role really needed someone who would be willing to go to dark places within themselves. And the couple of castings he came in, he was just so brave and honest and charismatic and good-looking, and you know, which is good for a leading man. But just his intelligence and wit and bravery, really. Can you tell us, Ewan, about playing the part and what you sort of liked about it that made you throw yourself into it? And were there any things you wouldn't do? No, there was nothing that I wouldn't do. I mean, I was absolutely terrified by it when I first read the script and I knew that it was going to require an awful amount of uh, vulnerability and bravery. Um, but one of the first things that Tony said to me when I was cast was that... Um, he said, I'm going to throw you in the deep end as much as, I, as much as humanly possible. And he really came through on his word with that. I mean, there, wasn't, there was rarely a day of shooting where I wasn't in some situation where I was completely out of, you know, my comfort zone. And, um, but I, I suppose the amazing thing was, having worked with him before and being friends, um, he was able to very early on sort of differentiate me from the character, you know, he was able to go, well, there are things about you that are like this and you tend to handle certain situations like this and this guy is nothing like that. And, um, you know, I've been really blessed because I've had two experiences with Tony now where he's, um, you know, cast me in roles that have required a massive stretch, I suppose. And a lot of, that's all you really want as an actor, you know, as opposed to showing up and playing yourself or playing a version of yourself, you get to, um, you know, yeah, really put yourself out of your comfort zone, yeah. So running through cornfields naked is not part of your necessarily daily life? <laughs> no, um, yeah. And, you know, I mean, I, I knew what I was in for. And beyond, beyond the script, I'd also read the novel. So, you know, I kind of figured there was no point in me saying yes to the role. I mean, you know, as if I was going to say no. But there was no point in me playing the role and then saying, oh, look, yeah, I'll do it, but I'm not going to do that, that, that. You know, I mean, it required someone to completely and utterly put themselves out there. And, um, yeah, I was, I was more than happy to do it. Great job. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the, the style of shooting? It, it looks like you, from what you mentioned last night, uh, after the screening, you had a small team of about 10 people that went to Europe, and you seem to have a kind of a style where you shot in amongst crowds as well as setting things up with actors and extras. So can you tell us a bit about how you approach that? Yeah, for those of you here who weren't at the screening last night, I was just saying that um, we wanted two of the most important things for me, like besides getting the story right and the actors, and was that I, 
the bigger themes of the film was about getting the locations and all the people, the extras of the film, as right and genuine as possible. And we got to work with amazing both locations people and extras people who sourced um, uh, refugees or ex-refugees or um, yeah, managed to get access into you know, a Romani gypsy camp in Paris. And all those you know, people that you'd know fill the film was one level of it. But I was really inspired by the idea of blending I work in documentary as well, and I just loved the idea, and I thought it would really suit this material of blending documentary and fiction, which um, Iranian cinema does so well, for example. And just for the audience, it is a really... Putting the audience in an uncomfortable place, like the audience goes into the POV of Isaac, and Isaac is unravelling, and that's a really uncomfortable position for an audience to be in. And I, we were just... The whole team was just trying to make it feel as unmediated as possible and as real as possible. So as we just, that was our ethos, I guess. It's very effective, particularly in the scenes when you've got the riot police there and uh, Isaac wandering around. That's very powerful. Well, Ewan, Ewan was literally thrown into that demonstration, which was one of the big October demonstrations on the streets of Athens. We had, um, we had a day where we could hear the protests at the top of the street. And um, Tony said, well, look, how about you walk up in that direction and we'll follow you with the camera? And I said, okay, so w when do we stop? And he said, I don't know. <laughs> so we kind of got up to the edge of the street and then Tony said, um, hey, um, why, don't you, why don't you go on the road? So then I went out on the road, kind of closer to it, and he went, hey, why don't you get out your camera and start taking photos? Which is a dangerous thing, because they were sort of targeting media. Yeah, so. we just yeah. heard from the Greek crew the day before how a couple of journalists had been beaten up for filming. So. But it would have been great on camera to get it, yeah? <laughs> that's right. That's how you New get that AFI point. award, too. Uh, what sort of challenge does that present the producers when you're doing that kind of run-and-gun style with a little crew on a real-life set? Uh, it, was, it was kind of a massive challenge, but a kind of fun one, like I said last night. I don't know if fun's the right word, but an enjoyable challenge in the sense that it was a big logistical undertaking. But at the same time, um, we, were, we were kind of shooting and then stopping to prep in the next city and then shooting and prepping as we went and indeed casting as we went. Um, and in fact, Tony really saw some tests quite late in the day for some of the roles as they came through. So we, and Ewan was with us the whole time, travelling with us as the sole lead actor. Um, so he was also meeting people for the first time as Isaac does indeed in the film, which I think was really effective way of doing it. Um, so we had fantastic facilitation people in Athens, Paris and Budapest and, um, you know, we, we were lucky actually, but yeah, it was, it was interesting. We worked with, you know, NGO refugee associations, particularly in Athens, met people in Budapest um, as well. And um, I think it reflects really well in the film, that sense of urgency on the streets. Just one last question for me before we open it up to the audience there. What did you all think when you heard that the slap was going to be turned into a TV drama? Did, does that help your cause or does it take away from what you're doing? I think it was, uh, we were all, you know, very excited. I think we all love the book. And uh, Christos's success is, is great for us. So it was only an encouraging thing. 
Okay, any questions from the audience there? We've got roving mics. So you wouldn't mind just waiting until the mic gets to you? I, I thought it was a very sudden ending, a bit unexpected. And also, is it autobiographical in some way of Christus? Um, I, I don't know. It's a question for Christos, I guess. But I think um, in all his books, he deals with emotions that he feels really strongly with. So I think um, there's lots of things about... I don't want to speak for Christos in a way, so I don't know, so maybe I'll just speak for myself. And what I like in his work is that he really tries to interrogate what it means to be human in the world. And being a Greek-Australian man, he really tries to interrogate what that means. And this book and film does that as well. So I think those are issues that he really wants to work out as a human being. And he sent Isaac out in the world and put him under such pressure as a character to test those ideas. I don't find it sudden myself. I just think the, um, like the lead character died, dies, you know, like a minute or so before that. And you're just left, you're left with the both hope for this boy who escapes and also um, a feeling, you know, it's both, it's bittersweet, I think. It's both hope and emptiness. And the film leaves you with, it's a film we were trying to make where we weren't trying to give you all the answers, I guess. Do so we, it's a kind of ending that hopefully leaves the audience with questions. Do we read it, do we read it as the generation who are left over? have gone on and the new generation of Europe are the, are the refugees? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I, there are lots of ways I could say what the ending does, and we were actually trying to make the ending do quite a number of things and the themes of the film. So I'm really happy to hear what, as opposed to us trying to prescribe how people should read the ending, I'm quite happy to hear people's feedback to it. Other questions from the audience? Just put your hand up. Hello. I have a question that I think is directed to the producer. Um, first, compliments on the film, but I'm interested in how you see this film being distributed because I think it's a film that should be seen by a lot of people for different reasons, but I fear that because of your... Uh, deference to artistic integrity, which is something to be praised, that your, your distribution is likely to be more limited or, and your audience is likely to be more limited. And uh, I wonder if you could comment on that. Well, I guess that's why we're doing the sessions, so that you can go out into the, the community and spread the word. Sorry, could I, so could I ju just make myself a bit clearer? I think there were certain aspects of the film which in the scheme of things were relatively minor where it was really laid on with a trowel. And uh, I just wonder whether it, that is going to inhibit the distribution of the film or the people likely to see it. I think there's actually a big market for films like these. Um, and it's a very... There, so many films that are coming out of that have been coming out of Europe over the past 10, 15 years. Amazing French filmmakers, Lucas Moodyson from Sweden, Michael Winterbottom out of the UK. Many films that are tackling, tackling really difficult issues. I'm inspired to make films that I haven't seen before. And I think this film, and I think the audiences that'll come to this film, are, 
people who want to see something they haven't seen before, something that is both really entertaining and gripping, but doesn't just leave them at the end going, oh, that was all right, what do you want to eat, Chinese or Thai? You know, hopefully they're going to leave the audience, the film, and go asking questions, both about themselves and the world. And those are films that I'm really inspired in watching, and hopefully people will be inspired to see. I mean, we knew, I mean, we knew this was going to be a film that was going to uh, hopefully bring in thinking, intelligent audiences. It's not going to be um, just a slap it out on, you know, hundreds of screens across the, the country type movie. So, um, so everything we did was trying to make it more sophisticated and more intelligent. So, you know, that, that was really the, the approach we took to everything. Um, I don't, think, I don't think there would be any point in compromising the director's vision on the film because I think it would result in a lesser film. And it was important that the story and the, and the, the questions, because it's a film full of ideas and questions, um, should be as provocative as possible, frankly. And there were drafts where it was more intense, so... <laughs> and the book is much more it's intense. actually a lot less intense than it could have been. It didn't have the romantic comedy elements earlier on there. Okay, other questions? Uh, question to the filmmakers. Um, future of films seem to be moving to a digital um, element. Will you guys continue to make films in film or move to the digital world? I, 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 can I I'll quickly comment on one? Just, I think we couldn't have made this film on film. Um, we couldn't have shot the way we shot on, on celluloid. And so for us it was, a, it was a big freedom to be able to shoot on the Alexa and move quickly and have um, you know, a small amount of gear and all that kind of thing. Um, it's actually incredibly hard to be shooting on 35mm in this country. For, you know, we've got a film shooting later in the year and I don't know if we're going to be able to shoot on 35 but I think also um, I was, I've been really anti-digital for a long time. I've just always had such a love of film. And the Alexa camera just is astounding. And I just give such a, I think it just gives such a filmic look. But like Liz was saying, when we're filming in so many things that aren't set up and you've got 10-minute mag film magazines and you have to replace those every 10 minutes, like we could just keep shooting and had an incredible freedom could shoot without lights, like the Alexa can see much further than a film camera can in terms of its, you know, darkness and stuff. Thanks. Um, first of all, congratulations. I really enjoyed having my grey matter uh, stimulated and I didn't really enjoy it actually not being spoon-fed uh, all the lines. So from an audience's perspective, I'd just like to say thank you. Um, but a question for the producers. It was really stimulating to see an Australian story told on an international scale. How challenging was that for you in terms of orchestrating uh, the production and the financing to put that together and still communicate it as an Australian story? Um, you know, that's certainly one of the elements that attracted us to the project, that Definitely. it was going to be an Australian story that played out in an international scale. And so, you know, we, we wanted this to be a film that was going to be exciting and stimulating to audiences around the world, you know, Europe and America, um, Australia, everywhere. So um, that was one of the, the draw cards for us. 
And you know, we, we had a very supportive financier. Screen Australia was our principal financier, and I think they appreciated that we were trying to do something a bit different, and they want to encourage uh, um, interesting filmmakers telling interesting stories. So, um, you know, it, it didn't. It, it only proved a, a positive for us rather than an impediment. I think it I, I, it's definitely was one of the reasons I was interested in working with Tony again and on and Emil on this was that the story was about an Australian going out and going out into the world and um, and I think culturally that's a great sort of perspective to have in a in a in a um, cinematic sort of way and you know this film has that and that's very much um, why I wanted to be involved in it actually. And it's, it's quite an Australian experience I mean Australians are great travellers and I think many of us have had that experience at a certain time where we do go in travelling around Europe and often our experience is not the same as Isaac's was. <laughs> Certainly the ones who live to tell the tale. Um, uh, so it's taking you into, into a world, a trip through Europe, I guess, that we, we suspect is there but haven't seen ourselves. Okay, any other questions? Is it going to be released commercially? Yeah, going to be coming out later this year uh, um, through Transmission Films, our distribution partner, and should be at uh, you know all the good uh, cinemas around around the country. And you'll even take the ones that aren't good. I'm just interested in your inspiration for the film and um, like what films you, and like directors were in, sort of inspired you to make the film, and also your process of working with actors. In terms of inspiration of films, it was, um, you know, Iranian cinema was something we actually never spoke about with the collaborators, but it was always something I had in the back of my mind. But I suppose mostly In This World by Michael Winterbottom, um, which is about, you know, two kids who, refugees, who make their way into Europe and blends fact and fiction, um, was probably one of the biggest inspirations. But I was... It's just the way my brain works, because I love films so much. I was thinking about 40 or 50 different films, depending on the day and the situation. Um, and in terms of working with actors, I really love rehearsals. Um, and just because of the scale of this production, we weren't able to do that as much as I would have liked. So I love um, improvisation and workshopping around the script. So we wouldn't work as much necessarily in rehearsal of going through the scenes and the actual we talk about the scenes and we talk about the meaning of the scene and what the scene needs to convey, but we wouldn't necessarily um, act it all out. And I'd get these guys like um, Danai's here as well, who was in the Greek section of the film, but with Danai and Thanos and Ewan, just got them to do really silly things um, and improvisations and just games because they ended up being such a close group, the three of them and stuff that would just set up the power structure. So I suppose what I really love doing in rehearsals is getting an agreement with the actors of who the character is and what the power dynamics are. And then when we all get to set, we kind of understand what the scene will be, but we haven't worked, or they haven't worked on it that much that it feels stale. So, and even while we're filming, just always trying to keep space for one of us might have an idea to try something that we haven't thought of before, just to constantly keep experimenting, I'm really interested in. I wonder if 